Good morning. When my dad was stationed at Hickam Air Force Base in Hawaii, we took advantage of one of the mature trees we had in the backyard. My brother and I were 12 and 9, and we needed something to keep us out of trouble. It was a nice idea, at least. Being an engineer, my dad built a platform for a tree house that could outlast a hurricane. And in fact, it actually did when a hurricane came through. Our whole family had, was a part of that building process as we get the, plank of, or the, the sheet of plywood out and we're leveling it and cutting out the notches around the tree branches. But it was my brother and I that were entrusted with the rest of the construction. And so over the remaining years of being stationed there, the treehouse took on various forms depending on what we could scrounge from the construction areas, dumpsters, and military discards. Admittedly, I'm not sure the military knew they were really wanting to, to discard some of those items. Nevertheless, the grand opening of the treehouse included a parachute canvas strung up between the limbs to form a roof, and we were basically your Swiss family Robinson. We just had snacks and a refrigerator inside the house. Anyway, during another season, the tree house had wooden walls and green corrugated fiberglass sheets for a roof. Those were later replaced by plywood sheets, and we made panels that would lift up, allowing us to covertly shoot our enemies with monkey pods. If it wasn't for our giggles and us allowing those flaps to slam down, we probably would have made great monkey pod snipers. And if, admittedly, if we hadn't had chosen the green monkey pods, you know, the ones that are harder, more durable, and the ones that leave welts, we might have gotten into less trouble. We sure learned a lot from that treehouse. In fact, one of our last designs taught us the most in that tropical environment. If you fully enclose a treehouse, providing no natural light inside, you will inherently invite critters to make it their home. We didn't have a roach motel, we had a roach resort. Oh, and there were a lot of them. That treehouse wasn't just about monkey pods and parachutes and cockroaches. It wasn't just a place to read or play with G.I. Joes or even have an after-school snack. It was also a place of learning, and it taught me about physics. It taught me about insects. It taught me about gravity. What was supposed to be a Saturday morning of fun turned out to be something from a Wild E. Coyote cartoon. As the treehouse stood, one of the walls was a little loose. Being a bit handy myself, I grabbed one of my dad's hammers to do a little man work on the structure. And there was about a one-foot ledge outside of this wall. And that was plenty of space for this under-tall, tree-climbing billy goat of a kid. So I thought. You see, everything was going as planned up until the part where I grabbed hold of the very wall I was nailing. In what seemed like the most epic slow motion sequence of a Matrix film, I began to fall backwards. There was nothing to grab hold of. There was no OSHA regulated harness to keep me safe. 
There was no trampoline at the bottom. My brother and I had had that in phase two, but mom and dad nixed it. We sure taught them. In midair, I remember looking over towards my dad or towards the house and seeing my dad. And I could remember seeing him looking over, jaw dropped, staring at me. There was nothing he could do, and there was nothing I could do. And I hit the ground flat. Now, I mentioned a wily e. coyote cartoon for a reason. What happens to the anvil in those cartoons? What happened to the wall? Yep. After my body hit the ground, sure enough, the board fell right on top of me. To this day, there is debate in the Dant household as to whether the impact of me hitting the ground is what broke my ankle or the board landing on top of it did the trick. But no matter... My ankle bears the scar of the trip to the emergency room, days of waiting for surgery as the swelling was going down, and four, count them, four plaster casts during the recovery period. I was a busy kid. I liked kickball. The ball went far with a cast. Now, let's back up a couple of steps here, because after falling out of the tree, my dad came running to my aid. That's no surprise. That's expected. Yet, I let out such a blood-curdling, girlish scream that I brought over three other dads in the neighborhood. Maybe they were there to help. Maybe they were there to laugh. I don't know what. But even if my dad hadn't come out, if he wasn't there, I knew that I was not going to be left on my own. I was going to have some help. None of those fathers were just going to leave me there. And this brings us to week six of our series called The Good Book. We are unpacking eight major themes from The Good Book, the Bible. After all, it's God's story. It's our story found within its pages and it is a story we share with others. In, one, in week one, we looked at God's plan of in the beginning, his big love for us. In week two, we looked at how God is good, even when life gets messy. We live big because God is big. And in week four, at a tough time in Pastor Joe's life, We are reminded how God is with us even in troubled times. And last week, as we crossed over from the Old Testament in the New Testament, Pastor Drew introduced us to the fact that Jesus is here. He's in the building. He's with us, and he's present in our lives. We have come a long way in our weekend messages, and we've taken that high-level scan of the various books making up the good book. And our children and our youth ministries, they've done similarly so that our families could have discussions either on the go or around the dinner table. Our small groups and classes have even been pulling out even more life application week by week. After all, that's what the good book is for. 2 Timothy 3.16 says it best, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training 
in righteousness. This scripture shows us the intent of God to move us from where we are to where we need to be. Said another way, Jesus won't leave me here. And that's the title of today's message. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to John chapter 20. One of the four Gospels, and in this particular Gospel, John actually reveals why he took the time to write this down. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, John wrote this account of Jesus' life for two reasons. One, that you may believe, and two, that your belief may bring life. A nuance that we cannot overlook is that this verse infers there is both unbelief and the absence of life. In order for us to move from believing or towards believing that Jesus is the Messiah, we must first be unbelieving, right? Makes sense. In order for us to move towards life in his name, we must first be striving in death or the absence of life outside of Christ. It's not a comfortable feeling. It's not a comfortable truth. But this is the starting point for every single one of us. We have a choice to make. And Adam and Eve nailed this truth in the beginning. And we have perpetuated the separation from God throughout the centuries. The good news of the good book is that Jesus came to bridge that separation. Christ crossed over into our humanity to meet us here. And that's our first point today. Jesus meets us here. Not only did Christ come to earth to show the way, not only did Christ lay down his life on our behalf, taking the penalty for our sinfulness, but he also meets us wherever we're at. No matter who you are, no matter how big you think the separation is between you and God, you have a meeting with the Messiah. He's moving your way. Paul said it well in writing to the church in Rome. And in Romans 8, 37 through 39, he says this, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is crazy about you and I. He loves us unconditionally, regardless of what we've done, regardless of how you may feel about yourself. That doesn't change the fact that God loves you. And he wants to meet you right where you're at. When I fell out of the tree, I wasn't in any condition to hobble inside the house. I was stuck. I knew something was wrong, even if I couldn't accurately detail it. 
I knew I had made a choice, but I didn't know how to fix it on my own. I didn't need a do-over. I needed a savior. And that's exactly who Christ is. He is our savior, sent on behalf of our heavenly father. And know this, God loves you and he's coming after you, not to break bones, but to restore what's been broken. That's what he does. Someone else causes the pain. Someone else causes the grief and the hurt. In John 10.10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. These are Jesus' words. I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. Let me ask you, what has the thief been stealing, killing, and destroying in your life? What is keeping you from experiencing the abundant life Christ came to provide? Is it pride or self-reliance? Is it comfort or the familiarity of routine? What God wants to work on in our lives isn't always what we think he wants to work on. If Christ came to give us life, what does that life look like? Is it a life filled with all of our wants and desires being fulfilled? Is it a life sterilized of pain and suffering? Certainly not, right? We're mature enough to know that that's not the case. And in fact, the good book, the Bible, is filled with verses regarding suffering and struggle in this present age. And in fact, Christ followers are bound to have challenges simply because they do follow Christ. It's to be expected, and we should be prepared for it. As we hover this week in the Gospels, in the life of Christ and and his disciples, we catch a glimpse of what he meant by the abundant life. You see, Jesus pursues us so that he can move us. He doesn't want to leave us stuck in the muck and the mud of this life. After Jesus meets us here, he moves us there to the abundant life. And that's our next point that you can write down. Jesus moves us there. Jesus had three years to move the original 12 disciples from where he had met them to where they needed to be. And if you think about it, these men were stuck in cultural thinking of the day. These men were stuck in their limited faith. However, they were ready to be moved. They had said yes to Jesus. But then the question is, where do they need to go? Where do they need to be? Let's keep in mind that these 12 disciples were going to be responsible for establishing the local church throughout the world. That's why Jesus selected them. They didn't know it at the time, but Jesus did. He had the big picture. He knew where they needed to go. And Jesus was intentional in utilizing the time they had together, every miracle, every teaching, and every challenge had its purpose. Christ wasn't winging it. He was moving it. 
And we may not have the big picture, but God does. He knows where we need to go, and he will move us from where we met him to where we need to go. But let's pause a moment for a reality check. Because some things are easier said than done, aren't they? We can have these high ideals of living the abundant life and fulfilling what God has called us to do, but desire alone won't get us where we need to be, right? Desiring to lose weight doesn't mean we lose weight. Desiring to eat healthier doesn't mean we eat healthier. Desiring a new skill set doesn't mean we get it all of a sudden. Desiring to be a nicer, better person doesn't cut it. I love how Pastor um, Charles Stanley said it. Discipline, not desire, will determine your destiny. His son said it similarly. Direction, not intention, determines destination. So you and I can want a lot of things in our life to change or to improve. You and I can want a lot of things in our church to change or improve. However, wanting to go from here to there isn't enough. We must behave accordingly. We must be disciplined in our behaviors. And as a congregation, we are all made up of individual here's and there's. We're all on a journey. Each one of us is moving towards or away from Christ. Each one of us is moving at a different pace. Our behaviors represent that movement. And our behaviors illustrate our true desires and direction. As a congregation, we are made up of those individual behaviors coming together to fulfill God's call on our lives. And as you see in that bulletin, we are moving closer to having an opportunity to confirm or call our next senior pastor as a congregation. That decision is incredibly impactful. It is critical for us to move towards God's plans and purposes for this church. It requires our careful and prayerful discernment, not relying on our own wisdom alone, but exercising our spiritual maturity and faith in relation to a heavenly father that wants the very best for this church, his church. It is with a vote that the membership will express their belief that the candidate is the right person to serve in this role. Yet selecting a senior pastor is only part of the equation. No matter the results of a vote, weeks from now or even 20 years from now, there is more to moving from where we are to where we need to be than just simply casting a ballot. We can have all the desire, vision, and strategy in the world to fulfill God's plan for our lives. But those must be greater than the resistance to those things. Pastor Joe, our care pastor, has a formula on his whiteboard in his office. It says D plus V plus NS is greater than R. And as a care pastor, we have to understand that he works with people like you and I who have gone through hard times, 
who maybe have a hard time moving from here to there. Working through addictions, working through grief, working through major life challenges. But the formula is true in each and every scenario. You can have desire plus vision plus next steps or a strategy, but all of those things must be greater than the resistance. If you want to lose weight, you can have the desire and you can have the vision and you can have the next steps or strategy, but they all have to be greater than the resistance of the brownies sitting on the counter. Oh, I won't go there. All right, since we just finished off a plate. Anyway, um, even those of us who make commitments to follow Christ have the freedom to resist following God. We have that choice. That decision is ultimately ours. But make no mistake, we are all following someone or something. Peter and Judas were examples of this. Impetuous Peter distanced himself from Christ when things got tough. And Judas simply made things tough. He sold Jesus out to the religious leaders of the day. Yet Christ was ready to forgive both. He was ready to extend grace, but Judas refused to repent. He tried to fix things on his own. He tried to appease his conscience, but that wasn't the answer. Repentance is always the answer. Changing our direction, changing our behavior is always the answer. Repentance is turning around after walking away from the Lord. Yes, it can be awkward. Yes, it can be hard, but Peter showed us how to do it. He swallowed his pride. He acknowledged his need for a Savior. And he showed us the enriched life of someone who does just that, who repents. Paul wrote to the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, Do not conform any longer to the pattern or habits of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God has a destiny for our lives. And transformation starts in the mind, desire, and moves to the heart, shows up as disciplines. So where is Jesus moving you? What is keeping you from fulfilling the plans and purposes Christ has for our life. In every organization, vision leaks. Mission drifts. South Suburban is no exception. And our individual lives are no exception either. To succeed, we must both have the what and the why established. But vision is derailed when we lose track of the why. Even the most incredible what will be lost without the why. And John's gospel gives us the why. And we can read it again. We read it earlier in John chapter 20. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you will have life in his name. 
That's why Christ came. That's why he wants to redeem our lives. That's why he has a plan and a purpose for us. To believe on Jesus Christ and experience life in his name, yet we cannot miss the what in Jesus' own words. John chapter 20, verse 21, it says this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's the what. We heard the why. Here's the what. He is sending us. And he echoes these words in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 which we often call the Great Commission. You see, Jesus meets us here so that he can move us there. But he doesn't want us to do it alone. You see, our third point is that we move others with us. We're supposed to take people on the journey, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members. You see, Jesus is here more than for just more than one person, and he is here for more than just one age bracket or worship style or denomination. The one congregation cannot and should not try to meet the needs of every demographic in the community. The one of us cannot reach every person around us. We can discern how God wants to use us to move others from here to there. We can discern how God wants to move us from where we are to where we need to be. That is why this congregation of Christ followers has come together. That is why this congregation has united around essential beliefs. That is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together week after week. Because in doing so, we move forward towards unity. We move forward to fulfill the call of God on our lives, arm in arm, side by side. Together, we move from here to there. And even though we may not know what the there looks like, we have a good God who does. We can trust him. We can put our faith in him. For my treehouse escapade, I needed a loving father to come by my side. I needed him to meet me where I was, but I needed him to move me to where I needed to be. Why? (laughs) Because I needed to be made whole at a broken ankle. (laughs) I needed to experience the freedom and fullness of life. And each and every one of us needs to experience the freedom and fullness Christ makes available for us. It is a freedom and a fullness that Christ needs us to share with others. After all, Jesus won't leave us here, but he'll meet us here. And if you would like to meet Jesus this morning, I would encourage you to do just that. Regardless of how big you think that separation is, he's bridged that chasm. All we have to do is turn around and you will realize that Christ isn't far off in the distance and it won't be some scene on some beach and slow motion music where you're running to Christ but when you turn around to face Christ you'll realize that he's been with you all this time 
with open arms, extended, filled with grace. And if you've never asked Christ to come into your life, to be the Lord of your life, today is your day. If you feel like maybe you did that a long time ago, but you feel that there is a big distance, today is the day we close that gap. Today is the day that we turn around and begin moving from where we're at to where we need to be. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that you are indeed a good, good God, that you're looking out for us, that you pave the way for us, that you extend grace to us. But the truth is that we need to be made whole. do something a little bit different for this congregation, but I'm going to have you repeat after me out loud as a congregation. But I know some of you are going to be praying this prayer for the very first time. This is an awesome opportunity. Let's repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I realize that I have sinned, and I need you. I want to receive you as my Savior and my Lord. Forgive me and help me to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.